What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today with Matt Norton. Today is Friday, January 7th, 2022. I am your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how was your break from TPT? Oh, Matt, new year, new me. <laughs> Just kidding. I got COVID and like had to stay inside for 14 days. Yeah, the timing really couldn't have been worse. Uh, I, I also got COVID and my quarantine just ended and I'm rearing and ready to go see Nick for the first time in a couple months. And then he got COVID. So <laughs> we, we did not see each other over the break. Dude, it was so upsetting. Like, of course, like the perfect storm, it's Christmas day and I got COVID. So um, really happy to be pretty much over it at this point. I probably sound super congested. But yeah, Matt, I was really looking forward to seeing you and unfortunate that we couldn't make it happen. Hey, well, next time we see each other, we will not have COVID and that's a promise. Yeah, <laughs> how about that? I'll take it. Did you have a good Christmas at least? <laughs> I did. I had a good Christmas. I was able to enjoy the day. Um, I had a great Christmas Eve as well. Uh, ate a lot of food, ate way too much. But yeah, I thought it was great. What about you? It was good. It's good. Um, yeah, a nice Christmas. And then for New Year's Eve, I visited some friends in Philly with Kaylee. So uh yeah, that was fun as well. And uh, I bought myself a Nintendo Switch for Christmas, so really oh, can't complain. How about that? What games are we playing? What do we got? Uh, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Mario Kart, and I got Just Dance for Kaylee and me, but we have not played it yet. So, Oh, dude, Just Dance is so good. I like <laughs> never played before, and then I went over one of um, my girlfriend's friend's house, and they're Polish and they just, we danced up a storm all night. It was fantastic. Well, I hope that, uh, whenever I crack it open, you two will come over and we can, uh, we can all play. I'll have to get more controllers first. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. All right, let's get into the show. to the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way on Monday and Friday. This shows your one-stop shop for all things environmental, whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics. TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we're happy to have you as a listener. And hey, really, really important before we get into things. Spotify has rolled out its rating system. So if you listen there, please go give us five stars. If you listen elsewhere, please go give us five stars on Spotify anyway. <laughs> yes, please do. And the same goes for Apple. Uh, the best way to help us out is to give us a rating and review wherever you can. So definitely do that as well. Yeah, and send the show to friends who you think would like it. And that's how you could help us help you. Help me help you. I'm trying to do you a service. <laughs> And I can't do it if you don't share the show with a friend and rate it five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All right, let's get into our first quick hit of the year. And it is by Kara Buckley of the New York Times. She's the honoree today. And she writes, coming soon to this Cole County, solar in a big way. Martin County, Kentucky is home to the old Martiki coal mine, which features a mountaintop that actually had its top blown off to harvest the coal from it. 
Today, it's also home to some picturesque landscapes, wild horses and cattle, and coming soon, hundreds of acres of solar panels. Many of the panels are going to be installed by former coal miners as part of a $231 million project, which may become the biggest utility-scale coal-to-solar project in the U.S. With coal mining on the steady decline over the past several years, coal country has seen poverty and economic inequality on the rise. This renewable energy facility will provide a huge economic boost, but it's also just kind of poetic to me that the economy in coal country will be boosted by renewables. Not to say we told you so, but renewable energy isn't only good for the planet. This can also serve as an important test run for other former coal mining communities where the resistance to renewable energy tends to be a little bit greater. And if things go well here, and they should, then why not our town next? Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is this is awesome that this is happening. And I'm wondering, like, are the coal miners excited to be, you know, working on solar projects or would they rather be down in the coal mine? Like, they're literally one of the toughest individuals on the planet, so... Yeah, and I bet that the the love of coal is more of the love of your livelihood. So for an industry that's been on the decline, I'm sure they're really excited to get into something that seems to be booming. Yeah, true. Great point. Um, yeah, and before we move on, I wanted to touch on something they bring up here by reading two quotes from the article. The first is from James Millette, who's a former miner, who says, The global warming thing, I think a lot of that is overplayed. But he supported the solar farm and said, Anything we can get will be a plus to the economy. The next quote is from Nels Johnson of the Nature Conservancy, who says, It's a great opportunity to address climate needs in ways that reduce environmental and social impacts, and that's why we're looking at this hard. And this exact argument is why I think renewables are so important and so exciting. These two people disagree on whether or not climate change is a serious threat, and let's just establish this. It is. James Millette is wrong about that. But in this case, that's okay because whether it's for economics or environmentalism, renewables help lower carbon emissions and that's the goal. Yeah. And when Nels Johnson says like, you know, reducing social impacts a hundred percent, like the people who work in the mines and stuff, miners lung is real. So like, I think it's going to be overall positive for the the communities that, that the solar farms are, are going to, um, to bring. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So our next quick hit is by Jesse Cohen of KTNV.com, who writes, New California law creates opportunities to waste less food. This article starts off with a pretty jarring stat. Before the COVID-19 pandemic began, an estimated 35 million people in the United States suffered from food insecurity. And that number has only gone up since then. Patty O'Connor is the chief supply chain officer at Feeding San Diego, and talks about how her father inspired the work she's doing now by going to Trader Joe's every Tuesday and Saturday morning to pick up the food that they were going to throw out and then donating it to a local Catholic charity drive. What her dad was doing will soon become the norm in San Diego as a law going into effect there at the beginning of this year requires grocery stores and other food suppliers to donate all edible food waste to a food rescue organization or food bank. Food waste is a much bigger issue than a lot of people realize. Nearly 80 billion tons of food is thrown out in the U.S. every year, which is equal to about 30 to 40 percent of the entire U.S. food supply. That averages out to about 219 pounds per person thrown away, which is just absolutely astronomical. It's insane. Yeah. 
And fortunately, California isn't the only state who's working to curb food waste. Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, Rhode Island, and Vermont have all passed laws. And states like Tennessee, Washington, and Wisconsin have created task forces to address the issue. So hopefully this works out, and hopefully it works out well. That way it can be replicated in other cities throughout the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked that this is like the first that we've we've thought to do this. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's it's such a great idea, and it's insane that we haven't done it before this. And I had to pull this stat from the article because it was too insane not to mention. According to the World Wildlife Fund, the production of wasted food in the United States is equivalent to the greenhouse gas emissions of 37 million cars. Jeez, that's just... When they quantify it like that, it's just... I, I'm at a loss for words, man. It's, <laughs> it's so wild. It's insane, yeah. To go back to what you're saying a little bit, though, I think the reason for all of this is so grocery stores couldn't get sued if, let's say, they donated food that had expired and then somebody ate it and got sick you know, like they would technically be liable. Right. But look, I mean, meat, dairy, sure. If, if things are expired and they're those kind of products, let's take it seriously. But dried pasta, like I eat that past the expiration date all the time. And there's so many <laughs> other things that are like that. So yeah, overall, really cool story. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, I feel like it'd be good to have like a surefire list of things that you can eat after their expiration because I feel like my people and myself included are definitely not as educated as we can be on what to save and what to throw out and what I can eat after the expiration, what I probably should not. Like, I think more information around that would probably be pretty helpful. My rule of thumb is the sniff test. If I open it up and it smells bad, it's probably bad. <laughs> That's what I do for like dairy and stuff. Like any dairy I'll smell and be like, nope, sour, done. Trash. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our next one here, and it is by Tom Lutie of the Billings Gazette, who writes, Montana's largest wind farm underway near Miles City. Buckle up for this one, because we're going to talk about some large-scale utilities, and I'm pretty excited about it. So the first half of a 750-megawatt wind farm in Clearwater, Montana, is set to come online in late 2022, with payouts over the next 30 years expected to be about $226 million for Clearwater landowners. Wind turbines are actually pretty big, if you've never seen one up close, um, and each turbine in the farm takes up about 50 square yards. But what's cool is the land around each turbine is going to be available for grazing still, which is, if you've ever been to Montana, really important in Montana. <laughs> 750 megawatts is also just a massive project, and Next Era, who's building it, said this scale is necessary to justify the 83-mile transmission line from the facility to the coal strip substation. And at that substation, that's where it's going to go from the facility to the consumers of the electricity. Montana itself has great potential for renewable energy, specifically with wind. And what's cool is that the electricity output in Montana tends to peak at times of the year when the wind farms in the Pacific Northwest are less active. So Washington State passed the Clean Energy Transformation Act, or CETA, in 2019, which aimed to have the state phase out coal in favor of renewables. Part of that was identifying nearby Montana as a cost-effective renewable source. 
An April report by Avista found that 200 megawatts of Montana wind are the most economic new resource to meet those CETA requirements starting in 2024. Again, this project is 750 megawatts. So it's massive, will produce a lot of energy, and it's cost effective. Yeah, I mean, a turbine, a wind turbine is huge. Like, I think... Finch. Did you see Finch, Matt, with um, Tom Hanks? No, I haven't. It's on It's on Apple uh, TV, I think. He lives in a wind turbine in the beginning of the movie. And that just gives you a reference for how huge it is. But um, yeah, I think this is awesome. And I feel like we're just getting consistent stories of just coal being outsourced by renewable energy this week. Yeah, coal and natural gas two thumbs down this week. <laughs> Renewables, two big thumbs up from each of us. Four thumbs up, baby. <laughs> Huge. Before we get into our next quick hit, the planet today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's everyday handkerchief is a high performance daily use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. All right, let's get into our next one here. The Denver Post published Marshall Fire Explained, how we got 115 mile per hour winds in Boulder County on a December winter day by Andy Stein. Yeah, this is uh, some tough news coming out of the Boulder area in Colorado, and nearly 1,000 homes, businesses, and other structures have been destroyed, and over 100 more have been damaged, as over 6,000 acres burned due to a wildfire that began on December 30th with unknown origins near Boulder, Colorado. Authorities are looking into the origins of it, but for now, it's still not known. High winds are pretty common in Colorado, and unfortunately, these high wind speeds help spread the fire with gusts this time of between 60 to 115 miles per hour. As of Monday, no deaths had been confirmed because of the fire. However, two people remain missing. So let's hope everyone's found alive, and our thoughts go out to all of those who lost their homes or businesses or really just all those who were impacted. And, you know, I, I really hate discussing stuff like this, but unfortunately, we need to do it. So how did these winds actually happen? Air rising up and over the continental divide in Colorado will then speed up as it descends down the Rocky Mountains. And this is often referred to as a mountain wave, and you can think of it the same way you think of waves flowing in the ocean. The article explains that six major factors can come into play that create strong winds like this, and we're going to explain them all here. You really only need to focus on three of them, but we'll get into that. The first is cross-barrier flow, which is basically atmospheric winds hitting the continental divide from the west. The second is a stable layer of air near the mountaintops. So this is when temperatures increase as they rise up. It's essentially warm air rising to the top of the Rocky Mountains. The third is downward vertical motion, and this is determined by the pressure system of the air. Under high pressure, air is going to sink. The fourth is jet streak position and intensity. And that means very fast winds streaking down a mountain, almost like a fast-flowing river. 
Number five, strong pressure gradients. And if there's a big difference in air pressure over a very small distance, the winds are gonna be fast. It's basically just a speed over distance ratio for that one. And the last one, minimal wind shear, which is a change in wind speed with height. So normally wind will lower in speed as it rises up the atmosphere, but minimal wind shear means it's not losing that speed. So of those six factors, cross barrier flow, a stable layer of air near the mountaintops and minimal wind shear were present on December 30th. So the key players were the stable layer of air at the peaks and the minimal wind shear. So basically the winds had nothing that were going to slow them down. And that's what led to those 100 plus mile per hour winds that we saw. Yeah, it's insane. And there's actually a time lapse in the article that we linked to that shows a mountain wave breaking and you can really see why these types of winds are called waves. Yeah, man, it was just absolutely wild to watch. And you know, when you think of the fact that this led to fires, it's scary stuff, but these winds when paired with a drought that's been ongoing since June made this a very serious fire. And the article also mentions how the spring was more wet than usual. So grasses and shrubs grew taller. Once that drought set in, the taller grasses and shrubs became easy tinder for a fire like this. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. Like December 30th, you'd not think that like that's wildfire season. To me, I'm not thinking that that's wildfire season, especially in Colorado. Um, and I know they're actually getting like slammed with snow tonight as well, which is probably not going to help too much either. But um, yeah, just a super unfortunate story and hopefully everyone's okay. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our last quick hit of the week, and it is Something More Hopeful by the BBC's climate team, and it's titled Denmark to Make Domestic Flights Fossil Fuel Free by 2030. Yeah, so uh, first of all, BBC's climate team did not do us any favors with that headline. Flights fossil fuel free? (laughs) If you're listening at home, say that five times fast, because you can't. And I got it on the first try. Come on. You did. You did. It was very impressive. (laughs) But anyway, Denmark's Prime Minister, Meta Fredriksson, said she wants to make flying green in her New Year's address. But she said the solutions needed to reach this goal are not yet established. Denmark's current climate goals are to cut their overall emissions by 70% compared to 1990 levels by the end of the decade. And flying is a big source of emissions for many countries. So how do we get there? Airbus has a potential solution that could be operational by 2035 and it's hydrogen-fueled planes. We've talked about green hydrogen a little bit on the show, and it's truthfully something that I don't know as much about as I would like to. So maybe we can do a feature story on that soon. That way I have a reason to just do a little deep dive. Um, but anyway, it's, it's basically renewable energy that's used to create hydrogen fuel. It's unclear if this will be ready by 2030 or if it will be cost-effective, but if it is, this could really help Denmark reach the green flight goal. Sweden also announced that it would make domestic flights fossil fuel free by 2030 and aims to make international flights green by 2045. France is working on banning domestic flights where the same journey could be made by train in less than two and a half hours. So there's some big travel implications coming out of Europe here. Yeah, 100 percent. And Airbus's biggest um, competitor, I would say, Boeing, actually did fly a manned hydrogen powered plane back in 2008, if you can believe it. Um, And it was a two-seater with extra long wings, so it's definitely not the same bandwidth required to fly, you know, actual uh, customers and people, you know, across the country. But they have flown five hydrogen aircraft since, so who knows? 
Yeah, I didn't know that, but hey, yeah, maybe their next hydrogen fuel plane will be at 737. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And I feel like they're going to need like infrastructure too. So like all the airports are going to have to have like, you know, basically hydrogen fuel stations at that point. And that's a whole thing in itself. How do you transport the, the fuel for it? I don't know. As always with stuff like this, I'm going to leave it up to people who are a little bit smarter than me and you to figure it out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel like whenever stuff like this happens, once one country does it, it kind of creates a domino effect. So reading this, I was just thinking, hey, hopefully this leads to more investment and in research and development into hydrogen-fueled planes or just generally green air travel. And I do want to add one thing that Prime Minister Meta Fredrickson said, to travel is to live and therefore we fly. And I really, really appreciate this approach because I'm sick of the individual blame placed on people to cut emissions. And that's not to say don't take steps to be more sustainable because please continue to do that. And if you're ready to take that next step, here's your push in the right direction, go do it. Mm. But this is all to say, rather than telling people don't fly as much or don't do the things that you want to do, let's just shake up the industry and make flying green. Yeah, exactly. Like your one flight to Miami Beach is not ruining the atmosphere. You know, like it's it's like we talked about that episode with um, I can't remember his name, but Chelsea's uh, Chelsea FC's um, owner, like how much emissions yeah. he creates. His just yacht. him. Yeah, just his <laughs> yacht alone creates like that broke me to a sense like that was like, OK, my own individual actions will not do as much as his, like, even though I like, and it's good for everyone else too. Obviously we are the first people to say, you know, reduce meat out of your diet and, you know, try and be more, um, recycle friendly and reuse whatever, all that stuff. But like it is on a couple people, you know, and then it's also on the industries to enact the change. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Like definitely keep doing what you're doing because whatever you're doing, it helps. It's important. We appreciate it. I'm not going to stop using a reusable water bottle anytime soon. Exactly. I try to not use any single use plastics. You know, I'm not going to stop doing that. But what's going to be more impactful is when we can totally phase out, you know, gas powered vehicles and get more renewable energy in buildings and right. green flights. Like that's where we make the difference. It's the system. It's less on the individual. Right. Totally agree. Yeah. All right, and that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. And exciting news for you, we're going to be back on Monday with some more quick hits from stories that broke during our holiday break. Yeah, and in the meantime, make sure to share the show with a friend or two or three or seven. If you have seven friends, that's awesome for you. And yes, please, <laughs> please do share. And sharing our stuff on social media also helps a lot. So share it there. Follow us everywhere. Share it everywhere. Do your thing. Any questions, comments, story recommendations, or potential guests, send those our way on our socials or through email. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. The Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norton. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. We're co-hosted and produced by the incredibly talented Nick Janusa, who also does the music for every single show. Nick, where can our listeners hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out. You can keep up with the entire TPT team on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at planettodaypod or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. Make sure to follow our socials for an exclusive quick hit 
every week that we will not be talking about on the podcast. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace. Peace.